This podcast was recorded at State Library Victoria on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. It also discusses events that occurred on the lands of the Ngunnawal people. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Welcome to In Those Days. Thanks, Penny. We're back in the podcast. I'm here with Christina Adams. And I'm with Penny Tangy. And it's been a long time <laughs> since we've done this. It has been a very long time. But I feel like we've achieved, we've done a lot in that time. Well, you've had a small person into the world. Yeah, I had a baby. Um, I finished my course. I'm now qualified to be a librarian, even though I'm not a librarian. That's why we're at the State Library. That's right. <laughs> and you, Christina, are now married that's right. And an assistant principal. So that's mostly the reason why we haven't uh, done this for a while. Life's happening. Yeah. So today, the thing that I wanted to talk about first before we get into having our guest is the newspapers in Trove, there tends to be more that, that are older. So after about the mid-1950s, there's not as many records. Okay. And that's for copyright reasons because most of those newspapers are still in copyright. But occasionally there's a newspaper that gives permission for their articles to be digitised. And one of those, which is going to turn out to be very relevant for today, is the Canberra Times. Ooh. So you can get the Canberra Times up into the 1990s. Good on the Canberra Times. And as we know, most of the good stuff in life happens in Canberra, so... And in the 1990s. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So let's get our guest. guest today is Lincoln Turner and Lincoln is well he's my husband I suppose. Oh is that how we know him? Yeah that's how we know him. <laughs> and he's also for the first three pods that we did he helped us at home with the audio. He was very flexible in a yoga type way at getting really <laughs> close but not in the way. So he'd be crawling around on the floor making yeah. sure the microphones were working but now we're at the State Library Victoria and it's everyone has their own chair. <laughs> Everyone has their own chair, their own microphone. It's all organised. It was all set up for us. So, And there are no small kids to be keeping out of the recording Yeah, exactly. But it's very nice that you're still here, Lincoln. Well, that's a, a lovely greeting. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we don't technically need your technical expertise anymore. It's much more relaxing not to be on tech duty. The first thing I want to ask, Lincoln, is how much have you used Trove? I think hardly at all. And I'm just trying to think. I think we had a little bit of a trove bender looking up things that had happened in our house Mm. during some ungodly heritage renovation nightmare. You're not haunted as a house. Oh, (laughs) oh, we have to be. I mean, you always see people looking up their house when paranormal activity strikes. Yeah, and you would think so. Like our house was built in the 1870s. Oh. A lot of people would have died there. Lots of poltergeists. A baby died and in, the, yeah. in the 1890s oh. and we found that in Trove. Oh, I thought you were going to say we found that baby. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, I actually don't get a very spooky vibe off our house, to be honest. So, Lincoln, but what I wanted to talk to you about today was someone called Eugene Milton Sanchez. My grandpa. Yes. Eugene. But normally... Never Eugene. Well, yeah, normally he was Milton. Yes, he was absolutely Milton. In fact, usually he was Milton. 
But yeah, because um, <laughs> he was being told off. Uh, Did yeah, he not yeah. like the name Eugene? Well, actually, I don't know. Um, it just certainly didn't go by okay. Eugene ever in the family. And mm. I don't know if other other points, you know, in his career he was ever Eugene, but not that Maybe I Maybe that was a generational thing because my grandfather was Robert George, but he was only ever referred to as George. George. Yeah, he was always Milton and it was usually Milton, as in <sighs> Milton, get rid of that lemon. Because <laughs> um, he used to suck on lemons, didn't he? Yeah, he'd be given a gin and tonic mm. and he'd drink the gin and tonic and then – Chew on the lemon and mm. like let it go, Milton. Just like chew and chew on the lemon, like he's getting every last bit of gin uh, to diffuse the lemon. I think he liked the lemon. I think he liked yeah. the lemon. We're very lucky because Milton lived in Canberra. Oh, hence the Canberra Times. Canberra Times. He there were there are actually quite a few articles related to him from the sixties and seventies. And the first thing, which is from nineteen sixty eight. And it's a profile piece on Milton and I think it's a really great thing to start with (laughs) because it – like I met him obviously when he was an older Mm. man but he had very strong characteristics and this article just really captures them all. And it was in a section of the paper that was called Capital Letter and it was written by a journalist who was known as Gang Gang. They tended to do kind of light-hearted things about life in Canberra. I'll, uh, I'll read this out. And it's from the 14th of March, 1968. Mr. Milton Sanchez, a tall, grey-haired, quietly spoken American living in Canberra, was not naturalised yesterday. (laughs) So there must have been a big big citizenship ceremony the day before. Until Australia changes its constitution to his liking, it's unlikely that he ever will be. Where is Australia's George Washington, he demanded last night. Oh, God. You, you say it like it is, Milton. <laughs> <laughs> so Milton was American. Oh, yes, very much. And, and a, a very proud American. Wouldn't go Living quite, in Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't go quite as far to say a my country right or wrong American, but very, very much this is the way it should be done and what the hell are you doing here in Australia, as I think if you found here. I'm going to get on to that. Okay, Mr Sanchez, of course, wishes to see us break free of what he terms old-fashioned ideas. He wants us to remove the ceiling over our heads and to stand up straight. <laughs> Don't be a slob. <laughs> is that what he used to say? That's that's what. No, not prescriptively to kids, uh, <laughs> but somebody that he didn't like. Weren't there some movie stars who oh, he thought were slobs? Almost all of them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who, because I'm really bad on mid-century movies, but certainly Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra, he was a slob. <laughs> if you'd said, Grandpa, what about David Bowie? He would have had no idea. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. He could have picked somebody slightly more contemporary and it would have been post <clears throat> about 1968 tuned out. Maybe you could go back and find some absolute matinee idol from mm. the 40s and he was, oh yes yes he was good he was good <laughs> <laughs> Laurence Olivier or someone oh yes no it was, it was okay yeah. <laughs> okay he, he continues I think Australia suffers from a dependent mentality he said you'll stop leaning onto the British only because you'll hang on to the Americans I want you to be yourselves to be free boy <laughs> Boy, boy, I've forgotten about the, the boy. whole country is boy. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> boy. boy. That has a number of intersectional problems. <laughs> Just a few. And then it said he's he said with a Yankee gleam in his eye. Oh yes. Oh. 
What is a Yankee gleam? Mm. Well, he was apparently quite the looker. Oh, okay. Milton was. Yes. Well, I guess so. Oh, well, I mean, you can't really judge from when he was 82. <laughs> but, oh, no, apparently swept my grandmother off her feet and was the dashing, you know, the dashing American <laughs> army officer and, and <laughs> off they went. Well, you know, 20 years later, we're, we're getting to Alison. His wife, Alison, whom he met and married in Australia in 1944, does not quite share all her husband's <laughs> convictions. Excellent. She has retained her Australian nationality, although they lived in America for some years. Her laconic interjections <laughs> with a slight American accent only spurred Mr Sanchez on to expound on his theory. I continue to be disappointed in Australia, said Mr Sanchez. <laughs> with, oh, he continued. <laughs> oh, without malice. You're still pretty much an up-jump self-governing colony. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Alison, my grand, she, she very much was in favour of an Australian Republic. She shared those views mm. and thought Australia should stand on its own feet. Maybe he didn't feel the need to fill the entire family dinner table conversation mm. with, yeah. with that pressing need. Yeah. <laughs> and she might have tried to be a little less, like, insulting as she oh, yes. expressed <laughs> that view. <laughs> Not Milton. Mr Sanchez, who works at the ANU Library, believes Australia hasn't made the progress she should have, materially and otherwise, because we are still too damn British. (laughs) (laughs) And then brackets. He's basically a very jingoistic American, interjected his wife. Ooh, did that cause some tension, um, perhaps, when that article came out? Well, I wonder. I've never heard of this article, and my mother in particular would have been quite pleased that they were covered in the – I would have uh, thought, Well, I she mean, would have been about 18, though. She would have been – Yeah, she, maybe she had other things to pay attention to in yeah. the gang gang, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe in her early 20s. No, she, uh, 68? Yeah. 20. Yeah, she would have been 20. Mr Sanchez said – He couldn't exchange his present citizenship for ours because he would lose his freedom of action as an American. For instance, I could become the President of the United States. (laughs) But as it is now, I could never become President of Australia. Oh, God. Australians won't face up to the fact that the number one job is denied them. Although Mr Sanchez is a fervent believer in the virtues of American democracy... He is also a great admirer of General Franco. Oh, oh God. Wow. Oh, wow. That's a good <laughs> Now, this must have been wow. uh, maybe post-1983, I think, or, you know, mm. when Spain, 75, when Spain got rid of Franco, I think maybe, um, maybe Milton might have backtracked on that view or at least sublimated it because I never heard that one. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. What about other kind of authoritarian regimes or tendencies? interesting question. I don't remember any discussion about Franco being, you know, not too bad. Um, But then Franco was finished before I was born. But I think I have some vague recollection of some conversation, must have been late 80s or something, about Pinochet and, and probably Milton going, well, at least he cleaned it up or something, uh, and yeah. something along those lines. Well, he wasn't and a slob. Was, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, Franco and Pinochet were not slobs. <laughs> and I'm sure if he said something pro-Pinochet, my grandmother, Milton. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, yeah, because Alison was really very progressive. Alison was very left, and yeah. she was certainly, certainly, you know, left of usual grandmother yeah. <laughs> location. <laughs> and I remember when when Keating lost the the ninety six election, she didn't just rejoin the ALP, which people did, I think, at that point when Howard came in. But she signed everybody in the family, including, I think, me and my sister, uh, <laughs> up to the ALP. Wow. <laughs> Didn't ask first, yep. just, just just signed us all <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> and um, and we got the, I think we got the, you know, the Young Labor newsletter or something. Oh, for how, a how of scintillating. After that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I mean, at that time I was interested in politics mm. and I was probably ALP rather than anything else. But, yes, yeah, certainly she, she was always keen to talk about politics and she, I think she, you know, she genuinely believed in fairness. She was a feminist. She was an early environmentalist as well and, and, and you know, she, and I, I got a lot of my politics from, from Gran. Not so much. Not, from, not so much from Milton. Yeah, no, no, Milton was in the background sucking lemons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad description of him. Yeah, um, yeah pretty much. Pretty much. So, oh, poor Milton. Okay, so I thought that that was pretty much the only article in Trove until oh. I had the bright idea of searching for his full name. Eugene Milton Sanchez. And so I actually just looked for Eugene Sanchez and then I found that he was a prolific writer of letters to the editor. Excellent. Excellent. And honestly, there are dozens of them as well as some responses, some of which get quite heated. Um, (laughs) And don't worry, we are not going to read them all because that – they are quite repetitive. Right. He does he's got, tend he's got a to, theme. Yeah, he has a theme. <laughs> he hits the same notes. Um, can I can I take a guess of the theme? Yeah, go. The one we've covered, which is Republicanism yep. in Australia. Yep, that's the and, main one. And the only the only other one that I can think of that that regularly came up at family dinners was the war debts. Whether other countries did as much as the US in the war ah, was a, is a big okay. thing for him. Okay, this is uh, a letter that was published on May 27th, 1969. As an American living in Australia, I continue to be amazed that this country, I refuse to consider it a nation. (laughs) Oi! (laughs) Coming in strong. (laughs) Is taking such an extremely long time to grow up. It is. Isn't this the result of a dependency mentality? After leaning on Britain for so long, you now lean on the US. Bludging is another term for it. And why not when people refuse to stand up straight and pull their weight? (laughs) Infrequently, I find Australians who are realistic enough to admit it. You can imagine how much Australians loved hearing this from Milton. Yes. It was a a barbecue stopper, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Neither in Vietnam nor Korea did this country contribute proportionally as much as the US. And in both world wars, participation was flawed by the controversy over conscription. Personally, I remember very well my surprise on learning that I could be sent here or anywhere else during World War II, but that no Australian conscript, even by the end of the war, could be required to serve north of the equator nor east of the 150. Ninth meridian, nor west of the 110th meridian. (laughs) (laughs) Really boxed the map. Quite, yeah, yeah, which I didn't know about. I I didn't know that. I actually looked it up. I mean, obviously, the permanent wing of the army, they served everywhere, but the the wing that had like the conscripts, Mm. 
first they were only allowed to fight in Australia or territories, Papua and New Guinea. But then after 1943, they were allowed to go to a broader area, but not all over the world. Wow. Because conscription, I think, was so controversial that it was like, well, you can only be conscripted if you're directly, you know, assisting Australia. Australia. Mm. I mean, I wonder if there was a bit of projection going on here because I don't know a huge amount about Milton's war service. Mm. Milton ended up at the end of the war as a major in the, you know, in the US Army. But I don't think he ever got close to the business end of World War Two. He was in the transport corps. Oh, and so right. I think he flew a desk <laughs> in World War Two and did a lot of logistics and paperwork. It's very important. And yes. which obviously has to be done, mm. you know. And but he was a um, young man. Yeah. Maybe they realised that Milton was not the sort of character you wanted in your platoon. Maybe not. <laughs> and he might be better given a given a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. That's now, I may be being very unfair. There may have been a mm. deployment where Milton saw some action, but... I feel he may, I, may have chosen to refer to that it, if he'd seen the action. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes right. knowing Milton, <laughs> I, I would have thought that, that it if it had been anywhere remotely uh, spicy that yeah. we would have heard. Very he unlike would, my other grandfather who, you know, was dropped in behind the lines before D-Day and Oy. some glider parachute arrangement and was so traumatic he never spoke about it no. mm. again. And, and so, you know... He sucked lemons for a different yeah, reason. Exactly. <laughs> there are different responses here and so on. But, I mean, uh, I think Milton beating up on Australia for not getting mm. in there quite enough is pretty interesting. Okay. Okay, he continues. <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> Call this place a nation? Why are all those British flaps still flying? I thought... I think maybe that's meant to be flags. Yeah. That, sounds, that, sounds <laughs> like an, flaps. that sounds like an OCR. <laughs> <laughs> Fix that one up later. I thought this was supposed to be Australia, not Britain. What about military awards and decorations? Not one is Australian. Maybe that is consistent, though, with having Australia's forces fighting for the British Queen, who, although head of state here too, is represented by governors who fly her British flag at their residences. Isn't this representing the British head of state, not the Australian? And why not have an Australian as head of state? Not just a substitute, which is what the Governor-General is. I'm really struggling with all these rhetorical questions. There's a lot of rhetorical <laughs> questions. Or aren't Australians good enough? I think they are, but they don't think so. Maybe it's <laughs> He loves to answer his own rhetorical questions. He doesn't oh, yes. seem to have mastered yeah. the actual notion of a rhetorical question. Maybe um, Australians <laughs> don't think they're good enough because you keep negging the Milton. And how about the clause in the Constitution which allows the Queen to veto legislation even after the Governor-General has assented to it for her? What kind of self-determination does this indicate? If the clause would never be invoked, then it doesn't belong in the Constitution. The sooner this country evidences some pride, becomes a republic and commences to hold its head high, the sooner it will become a nation. And for anyone who cares to say, Yankee, go home, and there were a few. Um, my answer is that I'll leave when I'm good and ready. Ooh. Damn straight. <laughs> and it's signed off Eugene M. Sanchez Garin. Do you think Eugene about. became his pen name? Basically, maybe <laughs> he... Sounds like this is the name under which he... And this is really he published a, all the letters uh, under Eugene. Um, Interesting. So he wasn't easily found in the phone book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? He... <laughs> His republicanism was ahead of its time. You know, this was, yeah. I think, we 
it's been a mainstream view for a long time now, but I think in 969 was, of course, mm. much less so. And, mm. of course, I actually agree with all the things he says. Yeah, it's just the way he says it. He's delivery. not sugar-coating it. <laughs> and, in, and in one sense, actually, you know, the letters to the editor page, it's 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 what it's for. It's mm. for yeah. people to write in and put these views. The problem in family life was that Milton would expound in exactly the same series of loudly put rhetorical questions, leaning back at the formal family dinner table <laughs> down at, and we'd go down there and maybe a Thanksgiving dinner or, or whatever and Milton would say grace and some turkey would come out, <laughs> robustly adopting the traditions of Australia here. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then a beat would pass and someone might say something positive. That's usually what would happen. It's good to see the government doing something because, you know, my parents yeah. are interested in yeah. politics. And Milton would say, oh, I'll tell you what it would be good to see. <laughs> oh, It'll yes. be, it, I'm not going to say anything good until we see. And then. Was he several gins deep by this point? Yes, he probably had a whiskey and <laughs> but a gin But I don't think it, I think he would, I but don't think it was just when he got abs- fire up after a cup of tea. Absolutely <laughs> not. It, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. If it was this just was certain trigger words that just hit abs- off. Absolutely nothing to do with the alcohol, even though there was the alcohol consumption and he was incredibly skinny and so on. I think it had nothing to do with the booze, mm. which is incredible. And usually he'd be talking to people who agreed with him. Like Oh, absolutely. Everyone but also at the just table a, was also Republican. Probably for the best you agree and just <laughs> enjoy the turkey. But just it's agreed like he's with not really three com- weeks before last time. Yeah, he's done. not convincing anyone. He's no. Just- and the, the problem then was that, you know, Alison would go, Milton. He'd just go, well, well, I, I, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, <laughs> and then uh, my mother usually would then go, Dad, <laughs> and and but this only encouraged him. He was like, no, it needs to be said. Children need to hear this, and of course the children. I mean, you know, I, I've I, got I, a press conference yeah. at two, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't remember egging him on to just because it was so entertaining. I probably did once or twice. I don't have a distinct recollection of what we did for this, whether he agreed disagreed or just tried to make it through to dessert. Grand's desserts, you know, she did excellent pumpkin and pecan pie. They, uh, were, they were fantastic, right? So I think yeah. probably the strategy was just to try to, mm, try to stay under out. the radar, ride it out so that the meal, so everyone would, would get through the meal. But I, I fear that my father, while also firmly Republican, Australian Republican in his... <laughs> Oh, did he argue with Milton? I suspect oh, so. Yes. Oh, I no. suspect oh, on yes. the war debts he probably would sort oh, of... Oh, because he was British. Mm. Yeah. Well, he was... Oh, well, my dad was um, born in England and... Well, he's still, he's still got a British passport. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he became an naturalised Australian yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, Australian and... But I think yeah, he didn't have the same concerns to... about his... <laughs> Ceremony that Milton had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Milton to... never became Australian. Absolutely. No, good. No, no, no. I couldn't Milton, imagine Milton that he would have kept his American that. passport. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so after this letter, this is the first one that I found that was published. There were a few responses. The paper actually printed four responses <laughs> to Milton. Oh God. Touched a nerve. Of uh, people who were quite cross at him, <laughs> um, and. They kept publishing sometimes like a letter a month, sometimes even more from Milton um, for the next three or four years. Wow. Um, and so I think he's... Was he on the payroll? Uh, well, <laughs> I think he annoyed people but they were reading and the paper probably... I mean, was he was doing quite a good click, job click, for click, them. Clickbait. Clickbait, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Circa 1969. There was one person who um, wrote a letter in support. Ever so often there'd be Ooh. someone supporting Milton as well Ooh. and this person was Kim Beasley Senior. Oh, fantastic. Oh, uh-huh. 
who was a member of uh, he was in that nineteen sixty nine, so he's in the opposition. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, so he he said no, Eugene Sanchez is on the money. Australia is servile, and we should change. Oh, oh fantastic! Now the next letter I wanted to share with you is that, as we know, Milton is always looking for a way to bring up the republic, and. Look, I mean, I get it. Like, I'm constantly on Twitter trying to mention climate change at every possible every opportunity. opportunity. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a long bow. Um, and so this is one that was published under the heading Mother's Boys. Oh, God. And it's from the 20th of January 1971. Sir, the recent Boy Scout Jamboree brings to mind the Scout promise and Scout law, the former being on my honour, I promise that I will do my best to do my duty to God and the Queen, to help other people at all times, to obey the scout law. Which law commences that a scout is to be trusted and is loyal to the Queen, his country, his scouters, his parents, his employers, and to those under him, seemingly in that order? Mm. Now here comes the big long rhetorical question. With the Queen given prominence in both and the country mentioned only in the law and they're following the Queen, isn't this inhibiting the development of normal patriotism? (laughs) To have a form of personal loyalty to an individual, in this case not even an Australian, is more brainwashing of impressionable, immature minds. Also, there is the top grade of Queen Scout. Again, something not really Australian, therefore inappropriate. What's a Queen Scout? Uh, I don't like know. a queen bee, but a boy one. Yeah, <laughs> and I think there's more than one, and I think it's just the top level of scouting. A lofty aspiration. Yeah, when you've got all the badges. You can... When you've done all the knots, <laughs> you too could be a queen change. scout. <laughs> you started a forest fire <laughs> and then put it out again. And rescued three koalas. <laughs> <laughs> he continues, this sounds a little like a mother's boy. How then can much hope be placed in Australian youth to cast off the still lingering but definite constitutional and spiritual yoke of British subjection so long as this hobbling foolishness is continued? <laughs> I have no idea what Milton ever had to do with the scouts. I just, <laughs> he saw the jamboree and it pissed him off. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Get out of my way. <laughs> Would have been a very large gathering and probably quite annoying. Yeah, I think he was just reaching. I, I think, think so. it's I hard to know how many Uncle letters Leland went to the scouts. I don't think it was he was he was a scout. Or it's anything. hard to know how many letters he wrote yeah. because th- these are the ones that were published. Yeah, they're yeah. the ones that made it through. Yeah. But maybe every day he like just went through the paper. The daily rumination from <laughs> Milton. Obviously, the scouts. Pissed off, you know, oh. and they're not, you know, they're not going to take this no. line down. It's hard to piss off the scouts well, as an organisation. You know, they're prepared and they're <laughs> <laughs> they're ready to um, take on any critics. And so, um, and Great. this letter is from Janet Booth, Janet and it was Booth. published on second of February, nineteen seventy one, and it is headed "Not Mothers, Boys." <laughs> Well, we already know where this is going. Sir, with regard to Eugene Sanchez's letter, what a load of rubbish he has written. From his letter, it is obvious that he knows absolutely nothing whatsoever about the Scout movement. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I think that's true. Yeah. 
or he would certainly not have called a Queen Scout mother's little boy, which insinuates that he is a softy, unless, of course, he thinks 14-mile overnight heights, etc., are easy. In the pouring (laughs) rain with no boots on. (laughs) Secondly, why shouldn't the Queen come first in order of preference for loyalty? After all, she is the head of state. Imagine Mm. saying that to Milton. Oh, my God. As a Queen's guide, she's, she's... in the guides, and she's a right. she's actually a sixteen year old girl. I looked her up. Gosh, uh, Janet's giving it a go. Yeah, yeah, good on her. Plucky. As a queen's guide, I would certainly be loyal to the queen and the country as long as she is head of state. In my opinion, it is better to put the trust of the nation's welfare in the hands of former scouts and guides than the likes of Mister Sanchez. And so she's how old? Sixteen. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because the previous year there was an article on her mm. when she got the Queen's Guide. Because uh, now this kid thing. would just do a TikTok just so that yeah. everyone knows <laughs> how they feel and we wouldn't be using words like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the law, which says a guide or scout is a friend to all and a brother slash sister to every other guide and scout, might help to prevent the earth being blown to high heaven by wars. That's well, quite nice, actually, Good on isn't Janet it? Booth. Because yeah. Milton was quite into the old wars, actually. Yes, I think so. Don't yeah. Don't a fan of, of disarmament, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I was thinking while I'm looking at these letters, most of them are from 1969 to 1976. Right. And that covers quite an interesting time Ooh. in <laughs> Australian politics <laughs> with the Whitlam government coming <clears throat> in in 1972 and being quite a time of change, and then getting the boot in 1974. And unfortunately, there's a bit of a gap. There's not that many letters from the Wilt- from the Whitlam government era. Mm. I don't know why. Maybe they were letters about other things at that time <laughs> rather than Mil- the well, Republic. Maybe, maybe Milton was just out of the country on one of yeah, his I don't know. trips what, to South America. You know, yeah. It's quite possible. That- yeah, because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess their kids would have left home then yeah, and they, yeah. they could have been travelling or something like that. But there's a letter from 1976 um, where he does refer to it and so we can sort of get his view at least on the dismissal. He says, this is titled Australian Independence. I have noted with wry amusement the new postage stamp marking 75 years of so-called Australian nationhood. Considering the events of recent months, particularly the Governor-General's exercise of the royal power of a monarch, not an Australian in cutting short the expected life of an undeserving government, the very idea that this country is an independent nation is just a big laugh. Now, when he calls it an undeserving government, I'm not sure if it's undeserving of being cut down or undeserving of being in government. I think it's a government is how I'm reading it. What do you think, Lincoln? Do you think... I'm not sure. I can't pass that. Mm. Uh, But this must have been a real... It must have been a real tension for Milton Mm. because he would have abhorred John Kerr's dismissal of Whitlam. I think it's pretty clear that he thought that shouldn't Shouldn't have been capable of of doing it. Mm. Absolute worst case of, you know, the the Queen's power being exercised to override Australian independence. On the other hand, it's 1975 was when Franco died, so he lost Mm. Whitlam and Franco. And (laughs) it's it's hard to imagine (laughs) Milton's (laughs) being a huge fan of Goff and... And a Franco. Huge fan of Franco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mm. mean, <laughs> hard to imagine. 
And he continues, and that the constitutional situation is so little changed after 75 years with the country being no more than an up-jumped collection of British colonies. (laughs) Indicates there must be something missing in the makeup of Australians. Otherwise, they would not have left unfinished the work of becoming independent of the continuing British Association, which perpetuates a lesser position for Australia. I wonder, this is sad, this next sentence, I wonder whether this may have been achieved even a century after 1901. That is a bit bit sad. (laughs) It was not achieved. So uh, what happened with the Republic vote, like... Milton, with the referendum, Milton must have been devastated by the result. Or was he just like, I told you, you guys were shitbags, slobs, <laughs> you won't help yourselves. You're hopeless. Yeah, stand up. Been, yeah, stand, stand up, up straight, boy. Stand up straight. Um, Milton, yeah, Milton, big believer in standing up straight, always stood up really straight. <laughs> Every morning got up and did extensive series of physical jerks exercises outside <laughs> in their backyard, you know, like he did. When like military style. Military style, mm, nice. you know. Ready for the day. Breakfast, got mm. Ready for the day. Yeah, in 99 for the Republican referendum, I just left Adelaide and moved to Melbourne to study. Oh, that was wise. And, and I got involved in the Australian Republican movement. I, you know, I was handing out how to vote or how to vote in the referendum. Wilson would have been very proud. And, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't recall uh, hearing about Milton's response. I'm sure I spoke to my folks and we were all just a bit sad about, you know, yeah. the referendum. Yeah. yeah, I don't recall hearing from hearing Milton's response particularly, but I'm sure he thought it was just, you know, just typical. They may have just had to keep him sedated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, you know, because he couldn't participate. Because well, he that was the thing because no. he'd, he'd been on, his, on the sidelines. Yeah. He'd been on his high horse and he wouldn't so sign up. I mean, it's not his fault. I don't think one more vote would have made a difference. No, 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 it wasn't that close even, unfortunately. But, yeah, I think there would have been an awful lot of I told you so, Mm. you know. And um, But it has been interesting to hear that he he also deplored Australia cozying up too close to the US and really wanted us to just be properly independent. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. I I didn't remember hearing that from him, but it was clear maybe maybe the view changed. But, I mean, I I think... Well, I mean, because he hated anyone bludgeoning off the US and taking... That's true. Mm. So he thought that they were being... Used sort right. of right, so. so maybe it's for the protection of the Americans. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? They need a lot of support. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's pretty much the last letter that was published yeah. in, from 1976. And I obviously I don't know if he stopped writing them. Did they well, stop publishing? He was <laughs> <laughs> Did they stop publishing them? Did Alison take away all these pens and his typewriter? We don't. <laughs> or said she was posting them, but oh, wasn't. Oh, oh, that's an interesting. <laughs> Pop one. that in. Um, Yes. Or possibly there's some kind of digitisation gap or something that. So after eighty two, they moved to oh. Oh, that could be to, it. They moved to they moved to Adelaide in eighty two, but that, so that's a bit it's still yeah, a bit of a gap. Still in pretty sure they were still in Garen. Mm. Because they were there when you were born. Yeah, in that's right. Seventy eight. Yeah, yeah, and you know I was taken over there and to visit a couple of times. Mm. And, so mainly, obviously, the Republic was his big topic. There was another topic that he was or liked to write about a few times. He was very critical of Australia's international aid efforts. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Um, which, you know, I had a fair bit of sympathy for this letter in particular. It was from the 13th of June, 1970. 
Sir, I wish to support the criticisms of the federal government's grant of $15,000 for relief of earthquake victims in Peru. So this is $15,000 in 1970. Yeah, that and gone very far. It was, oh, so it's about $200,000, oh, a bit less. Yeah. And this earthquake in Peru is probably one of the biggest earthquakes ever, oh, most God. destructive. Uh, 70,000 people died. Oh, my God. 150,000 people injured. Uh, it was a massive, massive event. And so Milton says, if this isn't a first-class example of bludging, then what is it? <laughs> I, too, am ashamed for this country. In the face of such small thinking, small-mindedness, is it any wonder that philanthropy is so poorly developed here? And the idea of doing for others less fortunate by far than most Australians. So his sentences are so confusing. Yes, they're, they're so quite strangely constructed. <laughs> I'm going to try that again. In the face of such small thinking, small-mindedness, is it any wonder that philanthropy is so poorly developed here and the idea of doing for others, less fortunate by far than most Australians, something which would seem hardly to have occurred to this government. Well feels, done. Feels unfinished. <laughs> yeah. As well off as this country is, it could surely come through with a grant on the order of half a million dollars and stop letting others carry most of the burden as usual. Mm. Fair call. Mm. Yeah. Fair call. And so he did, obviously he hated bludging, but he did also have some sense of caring about other people and wanting, do you think, or was it mainly about the bludging? (laughs) (laughs) So interesting. Um, You never got a strong sense of social justice from Milton. We'll put it that That was more from Alison. Oh, God, yes. But I don't... Because he also, there was, was, um, I think, a flight in Pakistan that he was Mm -hmm. very concerned about the amount of aid that went to that. I think it wasn't just... I think the bludging was a motivating thing that maybe <laughs> mm. made him pick up the typewriter, you know. But he was—he was very internationally focused. He was very aware of the rest of the world and uh, avid consumer of the of world media. And uh, usually, this would manifest as after he'd made himself problematic, you know, in the lead up to a family meal or whatever, he'd be told, "Milton, take the Guardian and read it in the car." <laughs> and so he'd be. Given the the very thin rice paper airmail copy of the Guardian Weekly that we used to get, um, and sent out to sit in the car and read <laughs> it in the car, and Milton never complained about being sent out. To sit I in the thought car. that he wanted to go and sit in the car and would take himself off, or was but was he mainly sent? Or was he uh, preempting? I, I think uh, yes, exactly, Christina. I yeah, think, I think he, he read the room sufficient. If he just toddled off. By himself, he'd be told off. Uh, he'd be told, Milton, you know, you haven't you haven't seen the children for weeks. Uh, you know? Yeah. But if he was sufficiently difficult, he'd be told, Milton, you can sit in the car, <laughs> and he'd go, Well, I, well, I, well, I, and then just you know, with a very you know minor show of, of unhappiness that wasn't yeah, would mm. would would toddle off to the car, and he'd get to be brought drinks and snacks. Oh yes, and, and I was on. definitely remember being told, <laughs> um, Lincoln take this whiskey out to your grandfather and I'd be given a bowl of nuts and a, you know, and a whiskey in a, you know. It's kind of a drive through situation. It, it, no, no, exactly. And you'd, you'd, you'd go out to the driveway and Milton would roll down the window. He'd go, oh, oh, good, 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 good boy. And he had a special connection to South America, didn't he? Oh, yes. And it was, it was because of trains. So Milton loved travel and he loved trains. He loved trains in exotic locations. It's quite niche. Oh, it gets more niche. 
<laughs> now, obviously, being interested in trains is a thing, mm. but I think, you know, most, most train spotters tend to be interested in the hardware, right? They're interested mm-hmm. in seeing a particular train or writing down the engine number. Milton, completely uninterested in the actual train. Only interested in the train line. <laughs> right. Now, not obviously the construction, nothing technical about the train. There's nothing technical about Milton. Milton, you know, Milton had an arts degree. Milton is very much, mm. you know. I understand. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so for Milton, the interesting thing was to find a train line that went from an obscure location to another obscure location or set a record for something. Right. right. But it could be the most easternly train station in South America or the highest <laughs> train stop. In the Andes okay. or something like this. Yeah. And then the important thing was to go there and ride the train line to the notable location. Right. That's not notable as far as anyone else is concerned. No. But, you know. And then back. Now, and every, anything that was actually written up in a Guinness Book of Records, something like that, long since done. Mm. But still had to keep generating new obscure train trips. And so my enduring recollection was Milton, Whiskey spread out across the table and then the atlas go pouring over the atlas trying to find a new train line oh, that wow. might be worth flying to South America. Gosh, all ride. before Google. <laughs> and so how many times would he have gone to South America? I think it was in the end 19 or something like this. He wasn't a wealthy person no, either. No, so Milton, had, Milton worked in the ANU library, but his job in the ANU library was quite junior. I mean, I think he might have been a geography subject librarian at the top mm. of the, you know, that was the high end yeah. of his career, I think. Certainly not. He'd be a, good at that though. Yeah. Always. I think he was probably, <laughs> yeah, he, I think, you know, if you asked a question, you probably got an overly suit. long answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Certainly knew where to find the atlas. Yeah. Um, but no, Milton, Milton, but Milton had a way of solving this problem of how do you get to South America, sometimes with Allison, but often not, and not spend any money. And this was this thing called Space A. Now, space A? Ah, space this A was sounds... space available. And this oh. was the idea that if you were retired from the US military, oh, you yeah. could <laughs> get a free flight on a US transport anywhere in the world if there was space available. Wow. And yeah. But man, I imagine most people did not do this. I don't think it was widely used. <laughs> no. And I think you had to apply <laughs> in advance and give yeah. them some notice and there were and you could be bumped at very short notice because, you know, mm, the yeah. Hercules wasn't space going no there. Longer space available. no longer available <laughs> because there's a tank there, not you. Yeah. And so my <laughs> And grand, my grandmother recalls a number of trips across the Pacific I th- in webbing seats with a tank oh. next to them. <laughs> How relaxing. <laughs> or at least in maybe the seats. Well, I mean, I think maybe the seats weren't webbing, but, but at least, you know, in the cargo hold. And it was all perfectly well heated and you got, you know, you got a meal and everything. Oh, really? Oh, you know, right. Some were, entertainment you options. Know, but, but, <laughs> but basically, you know, they'd, they'd drive off to Edinburgh Air Force Base or something north of Adelaide and wait in some US transport with land and they'd oh my God. get on it and beetle off to South America or wherever and often in rather indirect with yeah, odd stopovers okay. in less than wonderfully comfortable bases and all the rest of it. But he knew the system and he rattled around through it and I think eventually it stopped and I don't know if that was because <laughs> Space Available He'd decided it was... Loophole. <laughs> 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 <Milton>, yes. Yes. <laughs> Milton single-handedly had used up too much yes. space available. They weren't yes. doing it anymore. So, Lincoln, is it okay if we talk about uh, one of, I think it was one of Milton's last trips to South America? Yes. And I think you know it's the one I'm very, talking about. This is, this is a great story. So he... How old um, was he? Like in now, his mid-80s? 
Yeah, must have been must have been at mid eighties or yeah late eighties. I mean, he was he was <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> not young. And Melton didn't really get packing for travel. So when he was going up for highest train stop in the Andes, he wouldn't be wearing some. There was no Gore-Tex and no carbon fibre. Oh, there was no Katmandu. There were a pair of. Uh, shiny sold leather leather <laughs> shoes, um, uh, some slacks, and a, a shirt, and maybe a woolen, you know, knit, but but not much. And Milton would then take off to somewhere really, really, really cold, completely, completely unprepared. So, okay, so on this occasion, I'm pretty sure that by this point, Milton was showing signs of cognitive decline and was in fact on a experimental anti-Alzheimer's drug, uh, Aricept. But, you know, we're still able to tell you about the war deaths. I think Alison had said, there is to be no more travel, Milton. Anyway, Alison had gone to the shops. She came home from the shops. Milton was not in the unit of the retirement village, which is a bit unusual for him to go out by himself. She looked around, didn't notice anything untoward. And then she saw there was some paper sticking out of the typewriter... (laughs) typed on was just one line and it said gone to South America back in two weeks. Oh my god. This is a bit like and up. <laughs> <laughs> and she thought, oh dear, uh, he can't have made it that far. But in fact he had. Oh. <laughs> and he was well and truly off. And what and- had he packed? Yeah, not very much. I think the suitcase was, you know, a couple of shirts and the slacks, one pair of shoes and not his Aricept. He did not take his pills. He left (laughs) some space available. He left some space available. (laughs) And I think this was not a space available flight. I think this was he'd gone, he must have made a couple of trips out while someone was at the shops down Mm. for the travel agent to get all the tickets booked and so on. And I think... into his super. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's where probably where the trail got picked up of tracking down Milton because it was pretty clear Milton was not really going to be okay after, probably not in general, but certainly not after a few days off the pills. So (laughs) I think the trail started at the travel agent who I think knew who Milton was and told Alison the tickets that they'd sold to Santiago or wherever it was. You know, we were pretty concerned and Alison and my mother and father helping called the police and I think then pretty much got on to the Department of Foreign Affairs and had to try to work out where he was. It became pretty clear pretty quickly that we weren't going to find him through the Department of Foreign Affairs. And after all, not an Australian citizen, I think, yeah. may have been there. Their, their, yes. their comment yes. was just a bit like, of a not really one of ours. Yes, <laughs> it's an American gone rogue. Yes. Yeah. And that's been a decision that he's made on yeah. purpose. Yes. yes, exactly. He's reiterated and his decisions <laughs> for many years. And so, but I think... We're just not tall enough to help him. No, slobs. <laughs> Standing up straight enough. Someone, I don't know who, called the Department of State in the US... And to give it to their credit, they, they swung into action. And I think it might have Americans been... love a crisis. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's got it's got movie potential too. So they were hoping, yeah, hoping for something. Major yeah. Sanchez, yeah. Well, Major Sanchez. So I think my yeah. mother must have called Foggy Bottom in Washington and said, Eugene Sanchez, U.S. Army Major Retired, is lost in South America. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they sent out an all-stations alert oh, across, across South America to, you know, all the embassies and consulates and, uh, of course, US has got quite the network across mm. <laughs> South America. 
<laughs> and within uh, 48 hours, I think, they had a lead that he had gone to gone through somewhere in, in Chile and then to a smaller town and then ended up in some high in the mountains, very small, very small town. Had so he got into a very hotel far. There. He got a long way. Wow. Presumably most of the way up a mountain to catch a train. Although I oh, don't so did he get to do his special train journey? So I really I hope don't, he did. I, I know. I, I also don't. How my mum will know. I don't, I don't remember. I don't think so. Oh. I think they got... At least a photo by the train <laughs> before it was put in a tank. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was the thing. You didn't even take photos very reliably. Oh. So you did these things and you didn't get anything. No slide nights. Well, I've seen they did, some they did photos. do a slide night. I think Alison did a bit better. We got the occasional slide night. I've seen some photos once that he had, like, written on the back what they were and he'd written things like, somewhere in the Andes. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the Andes. And then the next one was presumably somewhere in the Andes. Yeah, nice. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> you see, if Alison was along with him, she would have documented some, it. Some yeah. Photos and you'd get some more interesting stories. Mm. And, but really, well, if Alison was happy to come along for the train trip, that was okay with Milton. But if she didn't want to come, then Milton found some way to go off anyway. Yes. And there's a family story where he was checking in at an airline counter. He'd handed over his passport and they said, Mr. Sanchez, are you travelling alone today? And he said, he said, yes, yes, I'm alone except for my wife. <laughs> he, she was his carry-on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the space I, available. Yeah, yeah, yeah space exactly. Available. Otherwise um, you'd you bumped. <laughs> so when I hear all these things about Milton and it's mainly from hearing these things not when I met him he was I I did occasionally see him arc up about the republicanism but mainly not and he was just really very very kind very pleasant very pleasant to me Mm. just very nice interactions there's something that and I always say I don't want to diagnose people Mm. but I can't help thinking that I think Milton was autistic Yes, I think I got my educator's hat on, and I'm thinking, yeah, little Milton was uh, quite fixated, on, yeah, on a few things there. Milton had some special interests, yeah, um, that he didn't share with others. Um, <laughs> didn't need others no. to share. He was interested in what he was interested in. Yeah. Didn't matter if other people were as well. Milton had some sensory issues. Milton abhorred anything that was sticky. If a dessert was served or something that was even slight, you know, anything, anything finger food, yeah, would go, Lal, which is short for Alison. Oh, oh, Lal, this is this is sticky. <laughs> need to need to wash my hands. I had another in- unique sensory issue, I I think, which was tight underwear. Mm. Oh well, maybe not unique. He preferred maybe. tight or didn't want tight. No, hated the feeling of the elastic and would snip around the elastic band of the... I can't stand tight underwear either. (laughs) I'm with Milton on that. I always buy underwear two sizes too big. I actually hate the feeling of underwear elastic. I hate it. Do you snip around the elastic? I don't snip, but I found another way. I upsize. And he used to cut the tags off off clothes and stuff as well, didn't he? Any noise? Noise. So children making noise. This is one of the reasons why you wanted to get the pass out for the car. (laughs) Yeah. To be able to have your drink in the red garden. Which is fair enough. Look, to be honest, I share that as well with (laughs) Milton, which can be challenging in my general... (laughs) 
general life. <laughs> children running around. And I think it must have been hard for him because often like we sort of laugh like about, oh, he had all these foibles and mm. whatever. But when you think about it, like how he would have been experiencing things. I think it was pretty – it could be pretty intense because yeah. they had a small neurotic dog that yapped and then a small children coming and chasing mm-hmm. the dog around and around the small house. And I can remember him going, see, kids, let's have a whispering party. <laughs> let's have a whispering party. Because they're so fun. Uh, we never had a whispering party. <laughs> yeah, and it probably, so it probably wasn't something that he had any, any control of. I, I don't think so. But then on the other hand, Milton could sometimes be very loud himself. Yeah. Mm. Not, I'm not talking, thinking here about dining table exegesis. I'm thinking about when something really exciting happened in Milton's yeah. life. Really exciting and unexpected. Really exciting and unexpected, for example, would be the unexpected appearance of a train. <laughs> <laughs> so, not just a train. Yeah, it had to be unexpected. Mm. So, train mm. coming into train station intending to catch train. Boring. Can, can manage to keep that together. Train going over an overpass while you're driving <laughs> under mm. the train. Now, that would cause Milton to go, whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> and it was called the whoops in our family. And somebody goes, oh, that, made, that gave Milton the whoops. Wow. And, and if you were driving along with him, you know, that could be quite alarming. But, <laughs> but there was one time where my, I think my father very, very nearly <laughs> had a heart attack. Which was that I think this was in the UK somewhere. They just rented a car and driving back to where we were staying. Dad had pulled over to just to check that the boot was shut or something like this. But had pulled over on the side of a busy road in London, I think, and had just opened the door, driver's side door to step out into, mm, yeah. into traffic, having looked carefully. Milton was in the passenger's seat, and at the instant that my father opened the door, Milton, whoop, whoop, David. <laughs> And my father said that his life passed before his eyes because he was sure that he was just about to be collected a by truck. a truck that yeah. was just coming past. What and I think it? he, you know, he jumped back in the car and slammed the door. He's like, oh, Milton, what? And it was, train, David, train! Oh, and there what? was a train going over the overpass, <laughs> just, you know, 500 metres down the A road from where they were. And, and I think my father was clutching his heart. It was just like, Milton, I thought I was just about to be killed. You know, anything mixed modal <laughs> transport would usually get the whoops going. Um, but, um, but yeah, they were loud. But he had things that he enjoyed. Oh, yeah. It sounds like your family, as much as maybe in retrospect, like if you knew these days you might think about it a bit differently. I think so. But in terms of like in some ways you were doing things to accommodate. Him going and sitting in the car, that's yeah, not a bad You were making solution. reasonable adjustments reasonable and modifications. Adjustments. No, I, I, I think so. <laughs> I think my I think my grandmother was she made a lot of um, reasons. She made a lot of yeah. <laughs> and she thought some of them were unreasonable. Um, Did she, she ever elicit a whoop whoop? Um, <laughs> you I mean know. from Milton? Yeah, like they, like when he first met her, was that a whoop moment or? <laughs> well, they met on a train, didn't they? they? Met on well, a train. and yeah. it was and already I think a heightened was, state. <laughs> I think it was a whirlwind romance. Uh, but, yes, but when they got together, I think she was – it was a bit of a sad story. She had an Australian boyfriend in the war and he oh. went off to war and was killed, you know, and I don't know what the, the delay was, but, you know, it was World War Two and life was at a fast pace and mm. 
Oh, somewhat later in the war, she was on a, a train from Sydney to Canberra or something. And Milton came into the compartment, I think, by the end of the train ride. They were uh, decided they'd see each other again. And I thought you said <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were married by that point. <laughs> With a child on the way. <laughs> not, not, not quite, I think, but it, it was quick, I think. He was a very interesting person. He was an interesting person. And I mean, and, and some of like his, um, some of it's quirk, some of it's fun, some of it's we now admire, like the way he's prepared to um, speak up about things that that he believed in and some mm. of it is sort of like, uh, nah, not not so into mm, that. Not so into that. But I think, I think he had that's a broad probably like anyone, world. but, you know, a little bit less conventional, a bit more interesting in some ways, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add about Milton that you feel like? <laughs> I'm sure there are more stories, but I think we've covered the main. Yeah, we've covered the main interests. And the, <laughs> the main, main thing and the main things that and you saw from mm. his life. Obviously, yeah. there's much more to him than what we've talked about today. Yeah, and look, he was a he was an interesting grandparent, and he did like talking to kids and mm. and, and talking about the world. So you could learn a lot of geography from Milton. Mm. Uh, you could learn a lot about history. You could learn about politics, and it wasn't just holding forth. He mm. he wanted us to learn. He wanted yep. to answer questions. And then he also were times he would just wanted us to be quiet, <laughs> have a whispering party. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lincoln, for coming in today and talking to us about Milton. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed being on the other side of the mixing desk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's easier, isn't it? Oh, so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good being the talent. <laughs> don't don't go too far. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and I've, it's been really nice to be back here. Nice to be in this lovely studio at the this State is, Library. This is it's a excellent. very luxe arrangement. Mm. It's, it's excellent. Disappointed the morning tea didn't come through, but <laughs> apart from that. Could have done with a little bowl of nuts and, some, yeah. and a whiskey, but anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> some lemon. Say, say the coffee, but I'd go a gin and tonic at this yeah, point. Yeah, look, whatever gets you through a Sunday. <laughs>